Well, may I add my warm welcome to Paul's. It's really good to see you. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Hollywell Church, and it's really good to see you. I'm delighted to have you amongst us. And if you were here this morning, it was a great, wonderful time of joyous baptism. Oh, what's this? It's my wife. This is a bit odd. Sorry, is it all right if I just answer the call just for a second? Hey, up, wifey. Everything all right, mate? Um, cool. It's great to see you. Um, listen, I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be starting the sermon. Um, it's a bit of an awkward time to call me. Everything okay? Uh, right, okay then. Well, since people at Hollywell are here and they can see you as well, why not everyone say goodnight to Rosie? So, one, two, three. Night, night, Rosie. Alright, laters. I better switch that onto flight mode. Since March 2020, we have been living in a room and Zoom world. The online digital space has certainly introduced to the masses the idea of being present in multiple places at the same time, at least from an experiential point of view. But actually, this is not exactly new, if we think about it. For years, our world has fantasized about beating the laws of physics when it comes to space and time. Whether that's through time machines, teleportation or holograms that you might see in sci-fi films or video games, or whether it's through fantasy novels like Harry Potter that attempts to push the boundaries in terms of how one goes from point A to point B, whether that's through apparition, port keys and flu powder, our world has been wanting to change the narrative in how we think about space and time and communication. And in many ways, they succeeded. Thanks to steady technological advancements, things like Zoom, FaceTime and WhatsApp video calling, they have advanced so much that they've become normal and dare I say, even essential to our lives. And although such platforms have their limitations, we are willing as a culture to put up with them because of what they provide, because they help us aspire and long for connection. And the last two years have only gone and exacerbated such aspirations and longings. Meaning the idea of being simultaneously present with multiple people in different places and time zones has now become more normal in our world than ever before. But what about God? What about God? If you've been to church for any length of time, then you would have heard things like this during our service. Welcome to church. We are gathered here in the presence of God to worship him. That's what Paul said at the start. Or you may may also have heard words like these at weddings. We are gathered here in the presence of God to witness the holy matrimony of so-and-so. Apart from the accent, have you ever wondered 
What are these people talking about? I cannot see God in this service with my own physical eyes. So how is it that we are supposedly gathered in the presence of God to worship him? Come to think of it, what even is this whole presence of God thing anyway? And what difference should it make to me and my life? Well, over the last few weeks, if you've been with us on Sunday evenings, we've been going through a series on the attributes of God. And simply put, the attributes of God are the things that we say about God that make him who he is and what he is like. And tonight, we're going to be considering the fact that God is omnipresent. The fact that God is all-present. That's what omnipresence means. And my aim for us as we discuss God's omnipresence this evening is threefold. Firstly, I want us to wonder in awe at the Christian God whom we worship here at Hollywell Church. A God who is everywhere and whose presence is immense. Secondly, I want us to be challenged. Challenged by the Christian God who sees everything meaning his presence is impartial and therefore his judgments are always right. And thirdly, I want us to be comforted, comforted by God's omnipresence, which is intimate and personal to all who belong to Jesus and whose bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So, without further ado, let's work our way through the handout on those sheets on your chairs, starting with the first heading. Because God is omnipresent, God's presence is immense. Now, it's worth flagging from the very beginning, from the outset, that the omnipresence of God, it isn't something that we can simply and easily get our heads around. Earlier on in our series, two weeks ago, we considered the fact that God was, is infinite, God being infinite. And God's omnipresence is just one aspect of God's infinity, in that it's infinity in terms of space, as opposed to infinity in terms of time, which we call God's eternity. So God's omnipresence covers an infinite distance. It's an infinite distance over in every direction. Another aspect of God's infinity that we saw two weeks ago was that God is entirely self-sufficient in every way. That he is a simple and consistent God. That he is not quite anything, but all of everything that he is. God is not quite loving. He is loving. He's all loving. And God's omnipresence points us back to this aspect of who God is, his entire self-sufficiency. And it's worth reminding ourselves of this from the outset, that God isn't just quite present. He's not just present in important places or just present where places where people are found. Nor is he all present but not really paying attention most of the time. No, God is everywhere. He is fully present, paying attention all of the time. Just contrast that with what we are like. I don't know about you, but I often find myself in situations when 
I am not fully physically, I'm not fully present in the single physical space that I'm actually able to be present in. Maybe for your parents, you find when you come home after a long day at work and your children, I wanted to play with you and it's, it's great, they're full of energy and you're like, oh, I just want to crash on the sofa. I just want to go into my own world. And I don't know whether it's just through tiredness or through just so much going on or stress or distraction. I'm just not fully there. And so if you've got any tips on how to help me be more present in such situations, I'd love to find out more. But here is the question. How can God fill space? How can he be all over the world and beyond it? How can we even begin to comprehend the incomprehensible? After all, God, he is transcendent. He is spiritual. He's beyond our ability to measure, to sense, and to experience what we physically interact with in our day-to-day lives. So where do we start? Well, thankfully, there are much smarter people than me who have looked at this throughout church history. And one such people is John Calvin. Now, if you know your church history, you'll know that John Calvin, he was a pastor and theologian based in Geneva, whom God used to greatly shape and reform the teachings and doctrines of the church during 16th century Europe, and whose writing and preaching has greatly influenced Western church history and tradition ever since, including what we believe and practice here at Hollywell today. In any event, he once wrote this regarding the attributes of God as a whole, which I think gives us much needed wisdom in how we begin to approach God's omnipresence. Have a listen to what Calvin says here. In seeking God, the most direct path and the fittest method is not to attempt with presumptuous curiosity to pry into his essence, which is rather to be adored, than minutely discussed, but to contemplate him in his works by which he draws near, becomes familiar, and in a manner communicates himself to us. So can you hear what John Calvin is saying here? There's a warning there that we need to be careful not to pry into who God is with presumptuous curiosity, but instead we need to humble ourselves and as an encouragement contemplate who God is and what he is like in the way that he has communicated himself to us. And so with Calvin's words in mind, let's turn to two illustrations from the Bible, which is how God has chosen to communicate himself to us. And while both of these illustrations point us to something that is less than God's omnipresence, they do so in such a way that they teach us something that is more on what God's omnipresence actually is. And so the first illustration is from King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. You don't need to turn to it. But in 1 Kings chapter 8, King Solomon, he's standing before a vast crowd in front of the greatest temple that Israel has ever seen, it's ever built. It had taken an entire generation to build this magnificent temple. And when it was finally built and finished, it looked richer and more grand than the York Minster and St. Paul's Cathedral in London combined. It was really a true sight to behold. In any event, here's what King Solomon says. He is standing in front of this dazzling building and he says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, 
cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Perhaps that was a rather confusing moment for some of the people who heard what Solomon said. Because remember, they thought they were building this magnificent temple as a house for God to dwell in. And so when they hear Solomon's statement about this grand building that they have ever built, that it's taken a whole lifetime to build, but it's ultimately not good enough to contain God, it would have been a bit puzzling, a bit disconcerting to them. I mean, what was the point in all this time and this effort? But in fact, as a matter of fact, what Solomon actually says, if you were listening, is that it's not just the temple that isn't suitable to contain God, but that heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain him either. And so the point being is this. It isn't just that God fills heaven and earth. Heaven and earth cannot contain God. Heaven and earth exist inside of the infinite presence of God. And this truth, my friends, carries some significant implications regarding God's omnipresence. It shows us that God is not creation embodied in some way. We're not talking about a God who is a bit like Mother Nature. God, you know, he isn't in everything. He isn't part of the sun or part of the soil or part of the earth. God can exist without his creation. Because God is larger than his creation. Creation cannot contain him. So he can exist absolutely fine without his creation and without us. But his creation, including us, we cannot exist without God, without his infinite active presence sustaining his creation. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes that in him all things hold together. And to get an idea of what God actively sustaining creation means, let's consider briefly Psalm 104, which Paul read to us earlier in our service together. So if you've got a Bible, please turn to Psalm 104. Really is a wonderful poem, isn't it? A great poem about God who fills and sustains all of his creation. And to set the scene in, in your mind of what we're going to be thinking about, think of your, think of a nature documentary. Your favourite scenes from a nature documentary. You know, for me it's Planet Earth or anything else with David Attenborough in it. But just think of a nature documentary, think of your favourite scenes and have those pictures, these vivid images in your mind as we consider briefly what we see in Psalm 104. So first, have a look at verse 2. It's saying that God is in the heavens. Now go on to verse 7. God is in the seas. Now look at verse 10. God makes springs pour water into the ravines. Verse 14. God causes the grass to grow. Verse 16. God causes the trees to grow. Verse 18. God watches over the wild animals. Verse 19, God is in the rhythm of day and night. He even directs the sun and the moon to mark the seasons. So those are just a few examples poorly summarized by me from Psalm 104. And they teach us that God, he is bigger than creation and that he contains creation, not the other way around. And that he also sustains his creation by his omnipresence. So now we can understand 
We can understand why King Solomon said what he said regarding the temple. Solomon, he recognized that the temple, as grand as it was, as magnificent as it looked, it was just a small example that points us to the wonder of God's omnipresence throughout creation and beyond. The second illustration regarding God being all-present, it could be found in Jeremiah 23. You don't need to turn to it, but in Jeremiah 23, what we see is God's omnipresence flipped on its head. He is, in here we see not a God that is too large for creation to contain, but a God small enough to fit into every dark corner and to hear every word. Simply put, there is nowhere in God's creation where he cannot be present. Have a listen to Jeremiah 23, verse 23. God says this, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth? declares the Lord. Just a bit of context here, a bit of a background information. In Jeremiah 23, God is angry. He is angry with the leaders in Judah. They are not following God's ways, but trusting in themselves. They are acting as though God doesn't matter. And they are acting like God cannot see what they are doing. They are not listening to God's word. And the result is God's judgment and disaster for Jerusalem and Judah at large. It's very sobering when you read it. And here is the lesson for us today. God's omnipresence means he isn't just present through his creation in faraway amazing places. He is all present and he even fills places that we think are secret. Places we prefer to think that God is not present. And it's a scary thought, isn't it? I'm sure we've all got moments in our lives that we can think back or think of right now where the idea of God watching would make us cringe. But this inability to hide things from God that we are ashamed of, it's not meant to, it's not meant to be there to make us feel bad or useless in front of God. Instead, it's meant to inspire awe and reverence. Awe in how great and marvellous God is. And awe that our sins, they've all been covered by Jesus. Those moments that still haunt us, those moments that make us cringed and feel ashamed of today, all of them have been paid for by Jesus. Setting us free to live a new life where by the power of God's Holy Spirit and through his word, we can now conform ourselves to Christ who gave his life for us. So God being omnipresent, being all present, it means that God cannot be contained by his creation, and yet he completely fills all of his creation. Before we move on, here's another quote from John Calvin. God might be incomprehensible, but his glory is so engraved and his character is so bright that none can use ignorance as their excuse. My friends, we might not understand everything. We might not understand it all, but we can understand enough 
about God's omnipresence, to be in awe and to worship him. The God who is all present, creation cannot contain him, and yet he fills all of his creation. Let's move on to number two on our handout. Because God is omnipresent, God's presence is impartial. Having looked at some characteristics of God's omnipresence, identifying God's immensity and how he fills everything, even the smallest corner, what then does God's presence mean to us beyond wonder and awe? Should it change what we believe in? Should we change in how we behave? And to answer that, let's turn to Acts 17, which Chris read to us earlier. Let's turn to Acts chapter 17, and what we're going to see is some really interesting things here in how we should respond to God being omnipresent. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 18, the Apostle Paul, he is talking to Greek philosophers. Some of them are deeply sceptical, some of them are rather sympathetic. And by the end of Paul's time, by the time he's finished speaking to them, some of them have become Christians. But at the start of the passage, they want to understand more of what Paul is trying to say and what he's putting forward when he describes God. So what they do is they take him out of the noisy marketplaces where he has been preaching and they take him to a forum, a place where he can speak more completely and where they could hear him more fully. And in this setting, in this forum, Paul puts forward some very important truths about the Christian God. Like King Solomon, Paul tells them in verse 24 that God doesn't live in temples made by hands. He also tells them in verse 25 that God sustains everything. And then in verse 27, he tells them that actually God is not far from each one of us. He says that God can be found, but not just that God can be found, but also that God commands repentance. Repentance in the face of a perfect judge whom God has appointed, whom, verse 31, has been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. And so do you hear the challenge? Do you hear what Paul is putting forward here in these verses? Because God is omnipresent, because he is all present, he sees everything and therefore judges everyone perfectly. Since his presence is impartial. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're here tonight. We're really happy that you are with us and really hope you would come again and join us again. But have you heard and understood Paul's warning in Acts chapter 17? In ancient Greece, and right here today in Loughborough, God can be found. God is near. God is present. He is at hand, and he commands repentance in the face of judgment. And God, he wants you, he is inviting you today to come to him if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ. He sees all of your life, including the things that you might feel ashamed of. And he's inviting you to come to him and to put your trust in Jesus Christ to have your sins forgiven, to have a new transformed life. He is near to you and he's calling you this evening. Answer his invitation. 
Hebrews 4 verse Hebrews 4 verse 13 tells us that no creature is hidden from God's sight, but that we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must all give an account. So please, if you're not trusting in Jesus today, I plead with you. He is inviting you to come to him, to have everything in your life washed, cleaned and transformed. But this aspect of God's omnipresence in Hebrews 4 verse 16, it, it leads us to a second challenge. A challenge for, this, for those of us who call ourselves Christians. A challenge from the statement that Paul makes in verse 27 of Acts 17, that God is not far from each one of us. And the challenge is this. Do we always act as though God isn't far from each one of us? Or do we act differently when we are around Christians and differently again when we are alone? Do we think of God being in certain places and more than others? Do we think he's somehow more present and especially or particularly present in some places more than others? Do we have a scale, a sliding scale of how present God is depending where we are? For instance, God, he is really specially present in church on Sundays, in the prayer meeting, when we gather as a Christian union on campus. Quite present, perhaps, maybe, during the family dinner table, you know. Oh, no, 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 but not really present when I'm on the bus to work, or when I'm sat in that office, or when I'm sat in that lecture theatre on Monday morning. Is that our attitude? Do we think that God is somehow more present depending where we are? God is omnipresent. He is all present. He is not quite present. He is not present and not paying attention most of the time, as we saw earlier. And so this is a challenge for us, isn't it? May I suggest that sometimes we can be more like the prophets back in Jeremiah's time than we'd like to think. If I submit to you, we can sometimes make the same terrible mistake as they did. We can forget that God is near. We can forget that God can see and hear all that we are doing, no matter what we are doing and where we are doing it. And so we need to remember that God is near. And that can be a really good prompt, I think, to discipline. A reminder to think and to act the right way, to live the good life that we have been committed to according to God's holy law. Not acting like a different person in church or in CU compared to the rest of the week. I guess another way to think about it would be in terms of speed cameras. Do we think of God's presence like an average speed check? Or do we think of God's presence like an ordinary speed camera? You know how it goes, don't you? Drivers, they swiftly apply the brakes for an ordinary speed camera and then they slam the accelerator as soon as they've got through it, doing the very bare minimum just to be within the law when they think the law is watching. But we all know that it's not quite like that, is it? We all know that the average speed checks, they are not like that. They require consistency. They, could, they, re- they need monitoring and discipline throughout. And they are far longer than the few metres or tenths of a mile of an ordinary speed camera. And God not being far from each of us 
That's like a massively magnified average speed check. We don't worship a God who just wants us to say and do the right things in church once or twice a week. And so the challenge to Christians, including myself, is this. Is that God is there. Well, wherever we are, whatever we are doing, and we need to remember that. His presence is impartial. The third heading on our outline is this. Because God is omnipresent, God's presence is intimate. And to do this, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, the very end of Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 28, what we see is Jesus commissioning his disciples to take the gospel out to all nations. And he promises them that he is with them always. No doubt Jesus' words would have been greatly well received as they bring great comfort. Comfort from the close personal presence of the all-present God who promises to be with his people always. But here is the question, here's an important question. How does God's omnipresence fit into the incarnation of Jesus and his life on earth? And how is that exactly comforting to us today? Here's another quote from Calvin. Here is something marvellous. The Son of God descended from heaven in such a way that, without leaving heaven, he willed to be born in the virgin's womb. To go about the earth and to hang upon the cross, yet he continuously filled the world even as he had done from the very beginning. It is something to marvel at. It is something to wonder at. But it's also something I think we can find very comforting, especially when we contrast the omnipresence of God with Jesus' presence on earth. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. Because I think what we see here is the steadfast love and the compassion of Jesus. Just think, just think for a moment, if if teleportation technology was working, if you could apparate right from here, right now, move to one place within a split second, where would you go? I'm not looking for answers, but for me, you'll probably be Tahiti. But if you could teleport anywhere, where would you go? And what I'm trying to say is this. Remember, Jesus, he walked across a poor, dusty, rocky country for years with no place for him to lay his head. He was surrounded by lepers, the sick, and he was uh, surrounded by aggressive mobs that tried to kill him on more than one occasion. My friends, just think about the ways in which Jesus limited himself, just in terms of his omnipresence so that he could be with us, and so that he could save us. It's quite striking, isn't it? But it's very comforting, because it demonstrates God's love and compassion towards people like us. If you know Matthew's Gospel, you will know that at the very beginning, Jesus is described as Emmanuel, that is, God with us. And if you look at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he says, I am with you always. In other words, this God being with his people through Jesus, it 
bookends Matthew's gospel. At the beginning, he will be called Emmanuel before he is born. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, as he commissions his disciples to take the good news of Jesus all over the world, he is saying, I, Emmanuel, am with you until the very end. And so with this aspect of Jesus in mind, let's go back to that phrase and think about it some more. God being with us always. I am with you always, says Jesus. We can tell this would have been an enormous comfort to the apostles because the spirit of Christ in God being in and with his people, it comes up again and again throughout the rest of the New Testament. Two examples would be from the Apostle Paul. Don't turn to them, but one example would be from Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul prays this. In his writing he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you, Ephesians, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And the second example, Romans chapter 8, I'm sure lots of you know this. Paul says, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So, in the same way that Jesus' presence is a comfort to the apostles, it should also be a great comfort to us that we have the presence of God with us today as we take his gospel into the world whether it's in our workplaces, or whether it's at university or our schools, all over the world. And as we strive to live for him and serve him and his kingdom day by day. But my friends, it should also be a comfort to us when we feel alone. Alone at work, or just simply feeling lonely. God is with us. God's name, Emmanuel, he is with you, no matter what you are going through. No matter how hard your marriage or your relationship might be, no matter how difficult things are at home, no matter if you've got loved ones you know who are in hospital and have no one to talk to, God is with you and he's with all of those who trust in Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. Nothing can separate us from Christ's love. God is always near and it's good to remember that. The Bible tells us that God is close to those who call on him and who pray and seek him. Psalm 145, it tells us that the Lord upholds all who fall and he lifts up all who are bowed down. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And so if you are feeling lonely if things are difficult in the Christian life at the moment, if you are in need of comfort, pray to God, knowing that he is present and nothing can separate you from his love. So, as we close this evening, let's just look back at God's omnipresence and what it means to us. Firstly, we wondered at a God bigger than creation, but small enough to see what goes on in the tiniest, darkest corner. God's presence is 
immense. Secondly, we were challenged, challenged by the God who is near and who judges rightly. Challenged to turn to him and to avoid judgment and to remember that he is present throughout all of our lives. God's presence is impartial. And finally, we were comforted, comforted by the God who exposes every secret and sees everything, but who is also merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A God who who is with us, however lonely we are and however difficult our lives can be. A God so close that we cannot be separated from his love. God's presence is intimate. So as we, as we go into this coming week, let's keep remembering it and let's keep encouraging one another that God is here, there, and everywhere. Amen. Why not have a moment's quiet as the musicians come before we sing our last song?